Hello, and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. My name is Chris Gondek, and today I'll be speaking with Steve Jones and George Thiruvathakal, the authors of Codename Revolution, the Nintendo Wii platform. Steve Jones is professor of English at Loyola University in Chicago, and George Thiruvathakal is professor of computer science at Loyola University in Chicago. Steve Jones and George Thiruvathakal, thanks so much for being on the MIT Press Podcast today. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Steve, I want to start with you. Uh, Nintendo released the Wii back in 2006. What was it that made it different from the video game platforms that preceded it? Yeah, well, the the Wii was the first uh, to make a a motion control interface, the mimetic interface, the center of a game system. You know, there had been motion control before, including Nintendo's own Power Glove, for example, for the NES. And there are a lot of other examples, mostly novelties in the history of gaming. But this is the first time in history that the whole design of a major console was built around that kind of user interface, motion control, and what that afforded in the way of game design and gameplay. Did Nintendo have a sense of who their target audience was going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's. There's been a lot of uh, uh, discussion of that. They were they used a, uh, sort of typical marketing terms in some ways that, for me as an English professor, are really rich metaphors. You know, they t- they talked about a blue ocean strategy for marketing, for instance, or uh, where they were going out into the part of the ocean that wasn't you know being turned up and turned red by the competition uh, between the other two major uh, uh, competitors, uh, uh, Sony and Microsoft. And then they, they also spoke of being the nimble dinosaur in the environment that was smaller and quicker, and they, they would let the other two big dinosaurs just battle it out in their corner of the environment. So for me, that I think they're, they're thinking about, you know, this, this wide open space in the market, the people who were first time or never uh, had been gamers, or uh, people who were what Jesper Eagle has called casual revolution, the people who were interested in gaming, but in this this newer way. And so this niche that the little dinosaur uh, was dominating uh, and did did dominate between at least 2006 to 2009 or 10 uh, really turned out to be really huge. As you say, when you think about all the people who aren't necessarily involved in games, that's a pretty big niche to be marketing. It's everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So, as they said, we're going to be going after either the casual gamer or we could say anybody who is not a hardcore gamer who we would think of, perhaps, you know, a young guy who's doing a first-person shooter-type game. If they're saying, we're going to go for everybody except that person, how did that influence how they decided to design the Wii? Yeah, uh, I mean, I mentioned the motion control earlier. Maybe uh, George uh, wants to say something about about how that technology works, because I think even down to the sort of literally microscopic level, they thought about design of the technology as reaching that target audience. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, I'd be happy to speak about this. So essentially, um, advances in MEMS technology, which is basically a focus on these micro-scale mechanical and electrical devices, is what you know made uh, you know the motion control and mimetic interface that Steve alluded to earlier possible, um, and these devices uh, basically are characterized by being very you know they're they're small you know you know mechanical devices that are capable of producing digital outputs. So a really good example of this is the three-axis accelerometer, which produces digital outputs that measure, for example, the x, y, and z coordinates. That uh, you know that the Wii remote is actually generating to do its work, and the other advances that have taken place that 
again, make this casual resolution possible are an emphasis on a bit of a more low-profile nature of the device. So, for example, there is much lower power consumption to be found in in this uh, in this gaming platform, and there's you know a much greater emphasis on having what we call a nice case that can be placed in the living room, a so-called right-sized profile, if you will. <clears throat> and um, the other characteristic of this system is that it forms basically a small personal area network that is designed to allow interactions within the adequate game space of the living room. About the living room, I mean, both of you talk about um, empty space and that this is to some degree the system was designed for empty space in a living room or wherever. Could you talk about this concept of empty space? What did you mean by it? Yeah, could I, I mean, I think what, what George is, is quoting in his description there is really telling. It comes straight from the Wii operation manual, you know, that ships with the system. And there's a little diagram, as there always is, of how to lay the system out. And then right in the center, it says it says adequate space required, <laughs> you know. And for us, this was really resonant. It means more than they thought it meant. You know, they didn't just mean the number of feet uh, that you had to stand from the TV. Really, it's about what is adequate space for gameplay, and that empty space of the living room is really crucial. And in fact, we have a kind of a private joke that showed up on the cover of the book in a way that the missing component of the Wii as a system is the coffee table that. You know, you don't. You have, it only comes into play when you move it out of the way, so you have adequate space to play the Wii without knocking your shins. But it, it actually is symbolic of that kind of domestic space turned into game space, where you have to have that that it's control. You know, it's it's connected by wireless connections of various kinds and some wired connections. But these components that you hold or stand on, that these peripherals that create it, what George has described as a personal area network for gaming in the living room form a kind of, uh, you know, game space out of the living room you're in. And the Wii, for the first time, really, I think, is a system that shifts attention to that as the center of activity. That's where the action is. People jumping around and waving their arms around, rather than, you know, a virtual world uh, uh, model of the, of, of, the game, of the game space. The other thing, I mean, this, I tell my students sometimes, a way to think about this is that it's, it, the Wii is a little more like, say, Twister, uh, you know, in a conventional video game, there's the, the the components of the system are tokens and prompts for structuring a kind of social gameplay in that in that physical space. I have to ask: Do your students sometimes look at you with a puzzled glance when you compare it to Twister? No, no, it's re- it's retro. You know, they're all they they know about this stuff. You can collect these on the internet now. <laughs> 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 you know, in that answer, I want to go back to George about the peripherals. Um, one of the peripherals that we introduced, which was mentioned something you stand on, is the balance board. You know, what was the balance board supposed to do, and then what did the balance board end up doing? I, I found the balance board peripheral really interesting. Yes, and as did we, <clears throat> the no pun intended. <laughs> um, in short, you know, the, the we balance board, um, first of all, you know, is inspired um, by the notion of the typical bathroom scale that uh, is is familiar to all of us, especially from the 80s and 90s. It is now replaced by more digital um, counterparts. Um, However, the basic idea comes from, you know, being able to weigh sumo wrestlers where basically, you know, two scales are needed, um, one for each foot, simply because it puts too much strain on the scale. So the basic idea is that 
the the balance board is designed to you know to capture player data you know about the body that's actually standing on it, and this includes everything from weight, center of gravity, um, and movement. Um, and and this is uh, you know to, to elaborate a bit when when you use the uh, balance board, you know, um, in, in games like, you know, Wii Fitness, one of the very first things that's done in the game is to actually measure, both, you know, measure the actual weight of the player, if you will. And the other thing that uh, is done is to actually measure whether you're actually centered properly, because in many exercises, especially in, uh, you know, even traditional martial arts, balance plays such a key role in everything you do. Yeah, I I think I like I I like the idea that it's a it's a peripheral that that try that exploits the periphery of that game space we were talking about earlier. As George says, it's like a it's like a bathroom scale, and there's a there there are rumors within Nintendo that that it, originally the idea was people experimented with the notion of having it actually be in the bathroom, so you'd weigh yourself. <laughs> And that data would be gathered, but then you'd go into the other, to the living room to play the game. And then they figured out they could actually use it as a control, uh, as a motion control device out inside the game. But that's really telling, I think, because it is out on the periphery, you know, it's, uh, of, of, of what game theory sometimes thinks of as the magic circle for gameplay. It's really on that boundary um, that you stand when you use a device like this. But it focuses attention on that spot, you know, because you, you first of all you've got to be careful if you jump too hard on it you'll break it and so on. But you 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 become self conscious about being at that at that spot on that periphery. Um, it's, a, it's literally a, a peripheral in, in that way. So when we think about the Wii as composed to say another platform like Xbox, um, how do they differ in terms of the sociability of it? I got a sense, you know, when I read your book on on Wii, it seems that the sociability is much more a group of people physically in the same space as opposed to what I would think of Xbox, where you could do Xbox Live and you could be playing a game with somebody halfway across the world. Is that a good, is that a good way, at least when initially it came out, a good way to delineate between the social aspect of we versus the social aspect of the Xbox platform? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think we're, you know, we live in a moment when the, the whole idea of the social aspect of gaming is in flux. For most people now, if you say social games, they think of Facebook games, games on social networks. Uh, but And there's always been a social component to all gaming, even single-player games, but certainly multiplayer uh, gaming, you know, as, as you suggested, online, or even LAN parties where everybody's in the same space but logged on uh, together. So that, that that's, that's to start. There's always been a social component of gaming. It's just a question of where the emphasis lies. And uh, our definition of it is, as you suggested, that it's it shifted out into this kind of possibility space and physical space that's defined as a, a place where social interactions ideally take place. So uh, out in the room, you know. So think about, um, uh, however, the, even uh, the, the platform of print when it comes to book history and how the technologies that made it possible for books to reach their audiences only become meaningful when you think about that Space, you know, that social space outside where readers form groups or go to lending libraries or they have enough income to purchase books and all of those considerations that book historians or textual studies critics like, like me look into are, are not only part of how you understand the we, but really that's where the focus went in the design of the system, thinking about how to structure that space outside the system. Um, so it's social in, 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 that, in that 
really kind of more physical uh, way in a kind of old-fashioned sense of social games. Uh, well, by the same token, I think it's interesting that you can see that even even Facebook games are you know have, have a resemblance to what the Wii does in that both kinds of games measure or record or tap into what players are doing out in that physical and social space or even in online social space and then connect that to the game space in some way. Another way I thought that Wii was different, and I'd like you guys to address this, is it also seemed to be one of the first systems that allowed somebody not just to be the player of the game, but to actually start creating media, which is uh, you know another fine thing of social networks. And I got the the game that you, you, I think you talked about. The game was called Wario DIY. Could you talk a little bit about the DIY aspect of Wii? How important was it to the system? Yeah, I don't I don't know how. Um, uh, Centrally important that is to the actual operation of the system for us. It was it was an, an important aspect of understanding the kind of game design that worked well on the Wii. Uh, but actually, you know, every major platform has has sort of games with with level building uh, built in now, and and uh, and this has become kind of pervasive in in gaming to at least allow people to create some content or to create you know levels or to customize their avatars to a degree. But 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 WarioWare DIY we really liked because it 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 uh, you make these micro games that are just seconds long, uh, so they have a kind of disposable quality. You know that they're for fun and then you make them and then you can make another. But but they then you can you know you can sort of play them on the Wii or you can play them on the handheld DS, and it, the process of making the game is mapped out for you in a way that's that's a kind of comic and simplified version of actual game development insofar as we understand it, you know, we're not developers, but you take existing, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, properties and, and recombine them. You, you even create a kind of marketing campaign and packaging for your game. Uh, and then, you know, when it's, you can, you can draw original art in the, in the program and then and import that into the game. And actually we made, we talk about this in the, in the introduction, we made a little game for fun in the, in that game. Uh, called uh, 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 Adequate Space Required, you know, a game about uh, this whole problem of scooting the furniture in the living room. Uh, so you have just a few seconds to move the coffee table before the television explodes in the game is the way this one works. <laughs> and uh, so, it, you know, that that it does encourage in a kind of, there have always been sort of drawing and art programs that came with Nintendo. And, and uh, because their market has been uh, perceived as being younger, there's a lot of this kind of playfulness that we think is actually really uh, significant, not as sophisticated as some of the level building and some of the uh, 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 deeper sort of core titles. But it, it actually may be a way to sort of get a handle on what's significant in a social way about about designing a game. I'd like to end this talking about um, another Microsoft product. I've mentioned the Xbox. I'd like now to talk about Connect, which Microsoft uh, launched in 2010. And Connect, in some ways, seems like it was a direct competitor to Wii. It was. It was. They brought this thing out specifically because of the the uh, physical and somatic things you could do with the Wii. But in other ways, it seems it's a very different product. George, I was wondering if you talk about the technical differences between a Kinect and a Wii and how they speak to the different ways, I guess, these two companies or two platforms experience the game process. Yes, this is very good. And in fact, it, <clears throat> I may actually go back and reference, uh, you, know, you know, briefly your previous question as part of my answer to this, because um, a big part of you know, our overall social argument is this kind of, in part, a technological one, uh, where you know the Wii actually tends to 
you know, it puts a great emphasis on what I call more local as opposed to remote interactions that you find in the typical live games or social games that uh, are emerging on Facebook. So um, our do-it-yourself, you know, game was even aimed at kind of highlighting, you know, the fact that there are these personal, you know, personal area networking considerations that, you know, that actually, you know, very much affect the way we view game space. Anyway, um, now to, back to your point about Connect, uh, <clears throat> or your question about Connect, I apologize for that. Um, the Connect, you know, basically is is uh, you know in in the most basic terms to use Microsoft's own um, uh, marketing collateral here is is where basically there are no gadgets. The controller is just you. And so, in a technical sense, you know, the emphasis is on you know the complete removal of gadgets, um, you know, and it's focused on, you know, basically what's called a form of image processing where we actually look at the, you know, we, we basically are photographing the user constantly, you know, to actually detect the joint movement. Um, in terms of the actual hardware itself, you know, this is accomplished with a, a camera that, you know, basically has separate RG and B, red, blue, green, and blue um, components that can be photographed. And also a monochrome CS, uh, CMOS sensor that actually allows you to, you know, basically do a lot of the things that are done in the Wii remote um, to inform, the, you know, like the, the detection of space between the user and the connect. So this this approach is is uh, radically different at some level because of the removal of gadgets. Yet it has much in common with the Wii at, uh, remote as it kind of you know inverts the the direction of, of the controller um, to, you know, to point at the user instead of at the sensor bar. Um, now anyway, so what this allows you to do is to have a, a focus that's on you know, gesture, facial, and voice recognition, um, which you know is, is kind of interesting from a historical point of view because you know, it actually is related to Microsoft's longstanding interest in looking at alternative interfaces for their Windows platform, there was the very famous Bob project where, you know, the idea uh, of this project was to take the Windows user interface and basically turn it into a house where, um, you know, for example, the user could go move around in, in virtual rooms um, that could be customized, you know, to uh, support certain interface functionality that you find on the Windows platform. And interestingly, the Connect is now being uh, about to be sold, if not already, as as an add-on to the to the Windows desktop um, that may actually end up bring, bringing back some of these ideas that you find on this platform. That uh, you know was kind of a a failure of sorts that happened in the 1990s. So um, you know the the one thing is that um, not all types of gameplay are really possible. Uh, you know, at least with the current incarnation of the Connect, um, especially when it comes to recognizing finer gestures. This might be, for example, you know, maybe you want to, uh, you know, press the trigger on a gun. It might be releasing a bowling ball. Um, you know, so, so, and the other um, kind of interesting issue at play here is that in terms of space considerations, it seems like a lot more than adequate space is required to play many games. Um, Steve and I, in the final days of writing our book, were spending a fair amount of time bumping into one another as we tried to play these games, um, which, of course, we feel 
still fits into our overall social argument as we both ended up looking quite silly doing it. Steve Jones and George Theovathakal, the authors of Codename Revolution, the Nintendo Wii platform. Thanks so much for being on the MIT Press Podcast today. Thanks for having us, Chris. Thanks for having us. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash mitpress, or you can follow us on Twitter, where we are at mitpress. This episode of the MIT Press Podcast was engineered by Stephen Cray. Copyright 2012. The MIT Press. All rights reserved.